just like in math, the life that you prefer on the other side of the equal sign is actually within the life that you're existing in. And the more that you pay attention or the more that you be present, essentially, and the more that you allow yourself to be all that you are, including the Pandora's box of elements of yourself that you don't want to see, then the more likely you're going to come into that solution. Because all those nuanced details are the part that is the math mathing, right? Like you actually have to understand the equation. So you're like, you could be looking at your life thinking it needed to be divided for years and you're like, oh, I need more. I should have been multiplying this whole time. I would have had a solution. Welcome to the Raw and Wild Hearts, a place where the raw, the unfiltered, the wild hearts gather to celebrate triumphs and hardships, learn from each other, grow together, and break down a culture rooted in fear. We will talk, we will laugh, and we will lean on each other about everyday life experiences that we could all use a little support through, and then we'll bask in the wild, magical beings that we are. My philosophy is that by embracing the dark, we may just let in the light. I am your host, Lori Rising, healer, educator, writer, adventurer, retreat leader, birth defender, and animal enthusiast and activist, along with my wild heart sidekick kitty, Jesus the Brave, we'd like to invite you to get excited about the wild heart revolution. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. It's called Extracting Wisdom from Every Moment with Sanyu Estelle. And dang, I'm telling you, we went pretty deep into some super interesting places today. Sanyu definitely brings it with some tarot highlights, language and communication exploration, body consciousness and emotional intelligence, my faves, and more. But it really comes down to the alignment with our relationship to the state of existence in every moment. Did you get that? No worries. It's going to come back around. That's a profound understanding. I cannot wait for you to move through this big tapestry we weave today into that final profound truth we are always in. Let me know how it lands with you. You can definitely do this through a review and star rating on Apple Podcasts or just shoot me a message, get on the social media, tag us in your post. It feels big. And on that note, if you feel like this show is offering support and engagement, you could just throw a review up in general. It's such a beautiful confirmation that this mission is creating an energy lift out in the world. We also love it when you share with your communities and on the social medias. I'm going to randomly select a review in the next two weeks to receive my powerful download track affirmations for alignment and abundance as a thank you. So make sure to get yours in if you're ready to integrate the power of a dedicated affirmations practice in your life to shift your experience here and now. And super important, timely message is... If you'd like to work with me, now is the perfect time. My container is open for the first, the very first iteration of my Awaken Your Life Force digital course based on my life-changing retreats. But the container's only open for registration until this Friday, y'all. 
November 12th, 2021, the first iteration. If you're listening to this episode later on, you may be able to get into one of the following containers. But the energy for this one is building. We're going to be shifting our experience, period. I mean, we are talking developing soul care practices, collective consciousness, cosmic connection, ritual, trauma recognition and release through cellular activation, pelvic bowl exploration and actuation, chakra clearing, dynamic motion embodiment and health, mirror work, manifestation, understanding and practice, and so much more. Oh my gosh, I know, right? This is a very intentional five-week container. I've been gestating it for years, and now I'm going live with it. Yep, the first iteration is live, so you get to be with me real-time, going through quantum shifts and healing. There's no time stress here, though. Even if you jump into this first course, which is launch price, so it will never be this low again, you get the replace forever plus every bonus that comes over the life of this course. So yes, if you're feeling the call, now is definitely the time to jump in. But honestly, just close your eyes, take in a nice deep breath, tune into yourselves. What are they saying to you? Are they excited about the unknown and the potential that's bubbling up in your soul? Are they telling you it's time to rise with others? Are they screaming for you to unleash your life force for the most joyous experience here and now? If that's a hard yes, I'm so stoked and I can't wait to have you in the class, but also click the link below, love, because we are ready for you to join us in this wild and raw course journey beginning Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Okay, and lastly, let's chat about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. You know I'm a huge fan of talk therapy. It's a very important piece to my journey in this human body, in this unfolding of life. And I do. I absolutely love my telehealth sessions. The benefits for me are huge since I get to stick with my own therapist no matter where I am. I take less time out of my day for the appointment, and we get deeper and deeper into my karmic wounding and patterns that are revealing themselves more than ever nowadays with these big energies. So if you feel like telehealth is the right fit for your mental health at this time, BetterHelp can be more affordable than traditional counseling and they do offer financial aid to those who qualify. They truly want you to have an easy and supportive experience. So if your therapist isn't a great match, they'll totally help you find a better match immediately. Because we do, we all know how important it is to feel supported in our full transparency and vulnerability. And as a Wild Heart Warrior, you get 10% off your first month when you go to www.betterhelp, that's H-E-L-P, dot com slash raw and wild hearts. And to make it easy, the link is below in the show notes forever. Okay, okay, on to today's engaging episode. Sanyu Estelle is a claircognizant, clear-knowing, soothsayer, truth-teller that is also known as the word witch because of her deep love for word origins, etymology, and word culture, philology. These natural inclinations are bolstered by an 11-plus year practice of Taoism that began with three years of training in Qigong and Tai Chi with Master Z of Dharma Health Institute 
as well as a 10-plus year relationship with IFA, the indigenous tradition of the Yoruba people of now Nigeria, culminating in membership at Ile Orunmila Afadefeo in Los Angeles, led by Baba Fesigan and his daughter Ia Fayomi. Sanyu is known for her straightforward card reading style, the reading you need, not necessarily the reading you want, and her way with words via both writing and speaking. Her card reading and channeling have been largely supported by her rich and detailed dreamscape, which she has been documenting since she was five years old, as well as her tutelage from Diana Wolf's Moon and Dawn Grisena, both in their crone years and not currently internet-based. Please welcome Sanyu Estelle. Hello, Sanyu. Thank you for joining the Wild Heart Revolution. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lori. Oh, I'm, it's such a pleasure. I'm really excited for this conversation, but I do like to start with a toast or a prayer Okay. to the wild heart warriors in our light, especially our dark and all of our magic and glory. May we continue to elevate consciousness through honesty, humor, humility, gentle care, soul wrenching growth and ownership and to us and to the true artistry in the raw human experience. Ashe, and so it is. Yes. I'm going to do a cheers this way since I don't have my cacao. <laughs> oh my gosh. So talking about artistry, I found you through IG. That's always fun when I'm scrolling, when I have the time to actually scroll and come upon somebody so beautiful and colorful like you. I just want to talk about the images. You are a professed word witch, but yet your images are so powerful. The mm. colors, the emotions that they provoke. I just feel like there's an embodiment to your imagery that speaks volumes, you know, as well as your words. So it's like all these languages coming together in a really beautiful form. And that's really, it's what drew me in. I want to start with your art and your creating energy and the guidance that you're sharing. Yeah, actually, it's so um, lovely to hear really, because this is a newer, I mean, it's not new in the sense that I, I definitely grew up, especially uh, once I went to college, I came into company with a lot of photographers. And so I became accustomed in that young period, especially because I was in college the first year of Facebook. So I was coming up with like all this social media stuff. Um, but I came up with actual photographers who often just used me for subject, but they were my friends. So it was very natural to be in front of the camera. And it took me some time actually to understand the, the gaze of the camera and like looking into the lens and seeing through the camera, as opposed to feeling like it's looking at you. Um, and that took me some time through coaching from these natural photographer friends who were doing projects for school and wanted like certain results and stuff like that. But because the music is new, because I created the album over COVID as a grief project for my dad passing away in the beginning of January, because he always wanted, of 2020, because he always wanted me to be a musician. I never felt that for myself. So I didn't really think I would have an album of my own music. And if I, and before, let's say 2019, me imagine that if I did have an album, it would be probably like covers, jazz covers, blues covers. That's what I was accustomed to doing. Um, and 
And then my dad died kind of suddenly and then COVID very suddenly, um, especially because being caught up in all the death throes, we, my family really didn't even know COVID existed until March, till we got back from Uganda and burying my dad and all these things. So I had no, <laughs> I had no idea. And then I was like, oh, quarantine. Um, and I had a lot of time. And so cultivating, I didn't know when I started the music project that the imagery would be so influential. But by the time it was time to take photos, I realized, and the same thing worked out with the album. I just looked around me and everything and everyone I needed was there. And it was very easeful to do. I had a friend with a studio. I had a friend with a bunch of beats he had made that he'd never done anything with. I had people in quarantine who had extra time to send me beats. I had time to write songs and I had the emotional content that I needed to write something that mattered to me. And then by the end of the year of 2020, I realized I had come into the relation of a, a creative director duo and photography duo who I had met through reading cards that I had not met in that capacity, but who I were perfect to hire for the cover of Good Grief. Um, and then my friend from third grade, I've known him since third grade, Jimmy, decided he was going to come back to California. And he was actually very inspired by the Good Grief photo shoot that I did with Salima and Lonnie of Acid Smile Studios. And by his inspiration, because he was a photographer 10 years ago, and he was a, one of those friends who, when I was in LA, was taking pictures randomly and stuff like that. And he'd gone into tech, but he was so inspired by that photo shoot that he wanted to try something new when he came into town this summer. And that happened to be the shoot that you probably arrived at the underwater shoot. So mm. it's been a very natural process. It's always uh, been an extension of kinship. My best photos are taken by people who um, are friends of mine at the time. Um, and I seek that out. I always want to pay my friends if I can. <laughs> so I'm going to choose my friends as photographers. It was gorgeous. I'm going to go off the cuff here. Since you're talking about such a powerful time in your life, like I can feel it in my heart when your dad transitioned and then moving right into COVID, like all of those layers that you were going through and then creating such art and an album out of it. Would you want to sing a little riff for us if you? Oh, wow. How, yeah. how what an opportunity. Uh, sure. Why not? Let me think of a song. The other funny thing is I feel like I channeled a lot of this music. So performing it, I haven't really done any yet, but let me think. Uh, I guess I can sing Deal With Where I'm At. That's probably like the easiest song to sing. So we are here and ready. Okay. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, got my cards on the table. Don't know how I'm able to know what I know but they show what they show. I don't see it all coming. I just get wind of it. Think that helped with my road. That's not how the unknown goes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank I you. I haven't done any live singing, so that was a 
encouraging challenge. And it was warmer. <laughs> absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it spoke to me, you know, just the unknown. It's so there. It's so present right now. And it's like present for the taking. You know what I mean? Like yes, we have always absolutely. feared the unknown. And I feel like we have such a grand opportunity right now to embrace the unknown. And, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm skipping all over the place, but this is kind of, this is kind of what I see with 2021, right? The, the Hierophant year, which we were going to get into later, but what the heck, let's do it now. But I see it as this, um, it's an integration year. Mm -hmm. If you choose to integrate, right. It can be a, it can be a major year of tension and fear, Um, So I feel like there's just this opportunity for the embracing of the unknown, or there's an opportunity to brace against the unknown. Yes, I I completely agree. Uh, The way I've been telling my clients is that, you know, COVID was a reckoner that reminded uh, humanity that the, I sometimes call it supremacy ideation, but these days I'm calling it the singular hierarchical narrative where this idea that there's one way to live and that life is sedentary and stationary, that earth showed up to be like, actually I go round and this is an encapsulated globe and I made you and welcome to, welcome home. Right. Um, And so COVID, you know, existence was going on in such a way that so many people felt so confident being like, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. And I like to compare it to um, the train in that weird sci-fi movie where the train is going around and around and around in like a winter frost or whatever. Yes. I forgot, yes. I forgot what the show was called, but um, because that's the way the train was working, but all of a sudden something unpredictable or you know unfathomable unknowable shows up and the train goes off the tracks and all of a sudden people realize oh like existence has always been multi-dimensional and humanity has also always had many disparate a spectrum of opinions and all of a sudden that's so evident because the train is no longer speeding along so in this time it's very I agree for the taking and very much uh, one of my mentors says going through the eye of the needle um, where people have the opportunity to decide what, what earth they prefer to be a part of from the behavior they choose to uh, inhabit, act out, choose to do, um, which allows them to be the version of themselves in the earth that they say that they prefer, right? Because like the control isn't so much over what's going on outside, but I mean, COVID made that very clear, but what we are in control of is how we interact with the world that we find ourselves in. Um, and ideally, when especially when I'm speaking to my clients, ideally what you're going to do is you're going to better yourself and you're going to value bettering yourself more than you value Um, resigning yourself to a world you don't prefer to a version of yourself that you don't prefer to circumstances that you don't prefer. You're just going to be like, well, I'm going to use this to better myself at the very least. Like I'm going to get the positive effect out of this thing. I really did not enjoy. Um, And so I think that's the kind of opportunity that the hero font brings because it's a card that 
has been following me around at least seven years. When I get readings from other readers, that's the card that comes up. So I do associate that card with my own energy. So it's funny that we're in a hero font year. I was just talking to Corinna Rosello about this of Rise of Goodwitch, um, about how the hero fonts energy, in my opinion, is recognizing that um, because time isn't linear and neither is experience, wisdom, information, data, whatever you want to call it. So the hero font is able to distill wisdom and knowledge from whatever experience they're having, preferred or not, which I think is why it can be so associated with like masters, you know, whether we're talking about Buddha or Lao Tzu or Hepshutzit or Jesus or whatever, right? It's this person who has integrated their existential experience with their lived experience and it's there's very little filtering or compartmentalizing of what is very obviously together even though it doesn't feel that way right like we are in the universe the planet is in a solar system we are a part of the whole thing and yet it can feel so separate yeah, and I feel like there's a, a huge transformation happening there. The affirmation that I tell my clients is, I choose myself over comfort. And the reason that I say that is because we have been in this kind of linear state of limitations. And so that became comfortable, right? We're creatures of habit. And what I'm trying to like really put out in the energetic realm for people is, what if we're creatures of adaptability? What if we make a habit of being adaptable because we weren't sold that narrative, right? And so I feel like we are being, we're, we're being like catapulted into that possibility right now. And imagine how much more comfortable we can become when we become creatures of adaptability. Yes. Let's go back to tarot since we already started talking about mm -hmm. 2021 and the year of the Hierophant. And you read tarot cards. You also call yourself... Um, or you say it's therapy, right? Therapy, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let's just give a really quick rundown for anyone who doesn't know what a tarot reading is or why we're talking about the Hierophant. A really good question to ask me right now because I am um, writing a chapter on the history of tarot for uh, Brittany Holt. Um, she's writing a book on birthing and has a chapter on the history of tarot. And so I've been uh, eyeballs deep in research literally I have like 40 tabs open um <laughs> so I mean what I'm discovering that's really interesting so I didn't come first reverse I have been practicing tarot for probably 12 going on 12 years now um but I did not come to tarot through any sort of like formal instruction and I did not come to tarot through reading books I had a mentor, um, one of my first mentors in like the more spiritual esoteric realms who did a reading for me, which just made me want to buy a deck. So I bought a deck, but what I didn't realize for the first five years of reading is that at least in my opinion, deck matters because I just like bought a deck. It didn't have any particular significance to me. So for the first five years reading for myself and friends, tarot didn't really make a lot of sense, but I kept it around because it was interesting, but I didn't get a clear reading. Then I bought a deck that actually mattered to me and like all my readings became really accurate for people. 
And I began reading for other people exclusively and not for myself because they became even more confusing for me. And I was like, I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't read for myself, but I didn't come to tarot. I came to tarot through practicing tarot and learning through maybe the spread suggested by the deck or just the traditional Celtic cross, which is one of the many ways that you can lay out the cards listener. Um, but what I'm recognizing now is like tarot is in itself, even in the history of it, um, the the fool's journey the tarot i was talking to corinna rosell about this in the rise of goodwitch the tarot everyone like we, when we talk about the cards were dealt in life everyone has dealt the entire tarot deck right and everybody mm -hmm. starts with the fool but where you go from the fool is completely contingent upon your personality so we have the major arcana we have the minor arcana we have the four suits we have the the court cards and the numbered cards mm -hmm. and then we have the esoteric cards considered mm -hmm to make the tarot. Um, but the readings and why you use tarot and how you get read by the cards is so personal, depending on what decks you relate to, what kind of information you're looking for, who's reading you, because everyone has their own style of reading, right? So I always tell people, I give you the reading you need, not necessarily the reading you want. Like if somebody wants a love reading, they should not necessarily come to me because the cards may not talk to you about love at all. Or if they do, it might be about self-love, not about when you're going to meet your next person. So <laughs> I am the kind of reader who I call myself a soothsayer, right? A truth teller. I call it tarot because it is very much a conversation about life, right? Like I'm an, an ontologist. I'm always talking about our spiritual philosophical place in the universe and like our perspective. So my readings are always going to what I call give the lay of the land, give people perspective so that they can be more empowered and more informed in the choices that they're making for themselves as they conduct their lives. Um, and yet there are people who can read cards and like talk to spirits directly. You know, there's so many ways. So tarot is a form of learning in my opinion and also a means of observation right just like art is a form of observation like science is a form of observation language is a form of observation music is a form of observation so so is tarot it just happens to work in a way through symbols and um energy and relationship with the cards which is what i realize is really the most important aspect of card reading like the reading i gave the reading the reason i give you the reading you need and not the reading you want is because i have to be faithful and honest with the cards if i'm going to expect them to continue to work with me in a way that is of clarity and of integrity so i can't tell you what you want to hear because i have to tell you what the cards are telling me i need to tell you as opposed to thinking oh, I want this person to leave feeling happy about everything that, no, like we will laugh. And I have a lot of people who've never had readings before come out of my readings and be like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> um, which is of course, because everyone is their worst critic, number one, but also because there's this idea that existence is somehow negative or petty or out to get us. You know, and so when you come into a reading, the only reason you would expect the worst is because you assume that like that's what existence's lot is for you. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you come into the reading and be like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I leave this reading? Like, you don't know. So my readings are more about navigation, 
but I use tarot mostly to read others, not so much to read myself. Well, and I want to go back a little bit because when you were saying when people come in for a reading and they're assuming the worst, right? Or they're, they're coming in, like even with defenses up, um, that's deep programming that we've been in. We've been in a scarcity culture of, you know, if we don't do enough, if we don't believe that we are enough, and if we're not doing enough, that's our worthiness is attached to that. So then I think that that mentality becomes so deep for us that now we have this opportunity to realize that it is in our shadow. It is, that is where we have such profound growth. And when we open up to that and welcome it in, it moves through us. I mean, I've been doing this work for over two decades and two decades ago, people, when we started to uncover their cellular trauma and cellular wisdom, it was so scary for them that they would just shut down. They would clamp down and they would hold it inside. What they learned was to hold trauma in no matter how uncomfortable it was, not realizing that when we actually open it up and take a look at that and like release it, then it leaves our body. And then that's when we make those transformations. And I feel like when things started shifting with cosmic energies, with COVID, with people, with grief, with looking at our shadow, I was like, yes, I have been, <laughs> I've been waiting probably lives, but definitely this whole life for people to like, be ready. There was a period of my time that I just stopped even trying. It was like, I was having to use so many words to try to explain to people. And I feel like that was the limitation that we were in, which is why I wanted to talk to you more even about words and language, um, because they are so powerful but I also feel like they've become a limitation for us. It's like words have become our placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. Because before language, you know, we had telepathy, we had intuition, like we literally spoke to people that were miles away from us. And as we started moving into such a linear based practice, we really went so far away from that innate wisdom and intuition. And now it's like that spiral is coming and it's coming back online and it's so beautiful. So I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your thoughts on that because you are so exquisite in your artistry of language and words. Yes. Well, I really, I, I agree. I think that anything that we insist upon becomes a limitation. Um, and so, I mean, the interesting thing is, I yes, we definitely weren't always speaking people's, um, even the, the etymology of spell means to speak or to say, because obviously we were speaking before we were writing. Um, literacy is very new to a global populace. The fact that people can type and write words is, is maybe like a hundred years of consistency across class and gender and race and all these things uh, because of all the obvious oppressions and the oppression of the singular hierarchical narrative, right? Which is also the idea of the, the one story or the one dimensionality and people's dependency on, or let's say it's not even, I mean, it's certainly a type of dependency, but it's like a assumption or like a taking for granted how language works um as if it's just there and like as if it wasn't made up right as if you're not choosing the language which is why i realized from studying etymology word origins for so long that actually what i really liked 
which made sense because I studied sociology and governance in, in college, was philology, which is like the culture that words create, right? Like the kind of words you choose. Why did South African English speakers and Canadian English speakers and United States English speakers and Australian English speakers develop different vocabulary, right? Like, and how did that affect their culture? So I think about that on the big scale when we're thinking about language used to be oratory or at there were times where it was, of course, telepathic, you know, just like when we see birds glide in the sky and they all go the same way, you know, we also had that, um, that type of intelligence. And then we also know that there was logographic and still exists logographic language where the, it's a letter and it's a word and it's a symbol and it's an image and it's and it's a multidimensional read, right? Because when people were first literate, you had to have logographic language that could speak to someone who wasn't literate. So a lot of symbols would be easy to understand or would be in the design of something that it communicated so that people who weren't literate could see it and be like, oh, that means this. And I don't need to read much more into this because I know that symbol means they're collecting taxes next week, whatever, you know. Um, and so then language became then at that time when people were learning to write was when language became very multidimensional, just like when we stopped being telepathic and started being more oratory or even stopped using like the dreamscape and other places to communicate and became more locked into time in terms of the way that we communicated. It became more limiting in other ways. So I think what's interesting, I love words. I do call myself the word witch and I've learned a lot about them. Um, but like you were saying, I have also learned that there is such thing as too many words and there is such thing as getting lost in the language to the point that you don't even know what you mean or you don't know how to know what, say what you mean, or even know what you mean, right? Because it's like what you're saying, you're probably thinking. So like, even if you don't, if you don't say what you mean, it doesn't mean you actually know what you mean, because it's not just a theoretical knowledge. It's a total knowledge. Like you say, you do, you think you act like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's very true. And, but yet, and maybe not, but, and because existence is, infinite and efficient and not linear it makes no mistakes it loses nothing because it's infinite right so even the infinity sign is a is a logographic symbol of the reality of existence that it returns to itself it makes no mistakes which means that nothing is wasted which means that the way that language has developed must be as useful as any of the other ways that it developed in other dimensions where we kept talking or kept being telepathic or did all, all at the same time or whatever. Um, so that's kind of what the, the journey I'm on right now. I'm like trying to find the energetic signature that has developed through language so that we can reconstruct our very like linear phonetic language back into a logographic and multidimensional concept. And then eventually for others in the future, you know, 500, ideally not that long, but like 300 years from now, they will be picking up on their more like telepathic communication. And then maybe we'd return to not speaking, you know? <laughs> well, it's so interesting because um, it's thought that when we started writing is when we really moved away from the divine feminine. 
and so much more into like masculine energies and linear type energies. And so then we, you know, really started to shift out of that intuitive space, you know, that feeling. And so then, you know, as we started to move into science and medicine, it started to compartmentalize your brain, your mind, your body, and your spirit, but they weren't together. They weren't all one. I'm a transpersonal hypnotherapist, so I'm very acutely aware of words and how they provoke positive or negative emotion. I've been teaching about it for a long time, but that's where I say we had gotten to this point of words being a placebo effect, right? So that's why people do affirmations. When we practice words, we actually start to get into our multidimensionality, but we've grown such a reliance on the word to get to that point because we tend to go overboard. <laughs> We're not a culture of balance, like with food, uh -huh. with anything that we do, we like go so hard and so fast. And that's that competition driven culture, you know, that hamster wheel that we've been on. But now this is what I'm feeling with these cosmic energies coming in and this connection that we're feeling to our nature. It's like our cells are bursting open and they're like, I am nature. You feel me, right? So it's like we go near a tree and I truly feel like people are waking up in a whole different way, which is my hope is it's transforming this reliance on language and words, even though it's art. They're art. It's beautiful. Like language is absolutely gorgeous. But if we can really create that holistic multidimensionality where it's not just like linear language and then we need that, like we need the sugar pill to believe so that we heal ourselves in the placebo effect and the words that we're taking in every day create our health. Absolutely. I think that uh, and I say this to people, you know, words are spells. The reason that spell means to speak, say, is because you had to say it before you could write it and you had to say it before you know you believed it or say it to affirm you believed it um, and to let other people know, right? Because there was a point where whether or not you were communicating telepathically, it wasn't being received that way anymore. So you had to adjust. I, I definitely think that the... That making enforcing any sort of linearity is going to create a more um extreme spectrum of let's say masculine energy because the spectrum obviously and we live in a triadic universe so you know we have masculine andromeda androgynous feminine we have protons neutrons electrons we have positive neutral negative um but like any enforcement and i think it can happen on both sides of the spectrum um where the masculinity is one polarity and femininity is the other polarity and androgyny is in the middle. I think that there are um, examples and especially in science fiction and stuff of extreme cultures that basically take on the same concept of this linear narrative, the superiority narrative, like this is the way that existence is best and, um, you know, oppression for the good, essentially, um, which is using the same, the same methodology on different points along the scale. So it's interesting because the way I used to describe this was like, when you think about life as binary, then the only way you can see other perspectives is head on. Because, you know, especially if there's no dimension to your, um, to your scale, but, uh, and so 
but when you start to think of it as cyclical or spectral, then you can take all these points along the 360 degree angle that allow you perspective and to change position and to elevate your opinion. Um, and so when we nail down the linear narrative, whether that's through language or through something I've been actually doing more reading about um, personally, which is uh, like a legitimate birthing, like bastards, like this whole idea that men created, which was if I don't like, if I don't claim that offspring, it's not mine. Like the idea of legitimacy as opposed to the reality of legitimacy where they're like, because I don't acknowledge you in the paperwork and legally you're not my child and there's no blood tests yet to prove that. So I can insist that I can act and procreate as much as I want, but only claim this behavior. Um, all that became a big patriarchal snowball. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this lately. It's kind of controversial because it, I feel like other than ageism, that sexism is like the second oldest, like classism covers all of them. Ageism was probably just like, you know, saber tooth tigers and shit and you broke your leg and you can't walk and we have to leave you because we're going miles and miles away, right? Sexism is, oh, I have a body that can do this. And because my body is like this and yours is like that, I deserve to access you in whatever way you want. So why I say that is because sexism is so old and the construct, like the conditioned construct of masculinity and or of manhood and womanhood are so old with the ignorance. Of course, we're talking about uh, white societal patriarchy, but like in the ignorance of all the other cultural perspectives that include multiple genders, this construct of this binary relationship between man and woman has constructed in the same way that anti-Blackness has created an extreme conditioned prejudice and systemic prejudice against uh, dark skinned people as opposed to white people. And in the same way, like Nazism creates a great indifference to people of a Jewish ethnic background. I think we have this great systemic prejudice against the way that woman is constructed because uh, all people, by the way, but I, what I mean by is like the definition of woman, the construct of woman has been defined by patriarchy for so long that what it actually is, is something that we have to discover outside of the idea of the binary. And I think that's why we're seeing all this spreading into multiple genders and people who claim, you know, who are non-binary and yet identify as man or woman. It's this bringing in all the other energies and not trying to just define womanhood as having what men have, right? Like, because what men have is, is trash, basically. Like, like they created this trash system where even they oppress each other. And if anything, they're walking on eggshells because of each other. Because if women and non-binary people decided we were gonna be like murderous, we wouldn't be here by now. Like there would have been thousands of years of gender wars between all kinds of people. So it's this concept that I'm learning through this particular type of oppression of narrative. Like, this is the only truth. This is my only child. This is the only language. This is the only way that you can be involved with people. We're right now, that train like 
went off the tracks and all this explosive, all these explosive narratives have come out the box. And now people don't even know what to do with them because they were so hypnotized by that singular hierarchical narrative, which happens to be patriarchal, ageist, you know, colonial, in this era, white supremacist, you know, all these things that people were like, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, we decided this. We mm -hmm. made this up. We choose this with our language and with our conversation and with what we accept. And I think that's sort of horrifying to people. Have you found that? <laughs> I mean, I've been horrified by it my whole life. You know, I just I could never understand. I, I can't even understand the competition culture. I can't understand how our country's better than every other country. You know what I mean? I cannot get it. It doesn't make sense to my cells. And so I've just been like basically a fear culture destroyer since I came in because the language hurts me. It like literally and this is going to take us to my next topic that I want to talk about. Like it, it's it it offends my body consciousness, right? Just like the living from selfishness, from righteousness, from greed, you know, creating this us versus them constantly. It does not, it doesn't resonate with any part of my being. And so that is really where I, I wanted to talk to you more even about emotional intelligence and or body consciousness, right? Because they're two different concepts, but yet I think that they're really important to look at because I think this is part of our evolution is, oh, yes. is these two very, very vivid ways of living with emotional intelligence and body consciousness over the hypnosis of the linear, this is how it's done and this is how it's always been. So this is how we're, look at me, I'm, I'm getting really into it. <laughs> well, that's the energy, right? That's, the that's my body consciousness. So exactly. yeah, how does that feel? Like even, I, I, even like bringing this up, I feel like your like cells awaken when we start talking about these concepts. And this is how people, I think people are... Like, I even feel like people right now are saying no to things or yes to things based on something that's happening inside of them, even if they can't come up with the actual, like, language for it or, or concept for it because their body is turning on, but they've never made that connection before. So it can be really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it's a really good way to describe this. I usually use the tarot to describe this. So this is great. You know, swords is our intellect. Uh, our intellectual intelligence, our logical intelligence, us with us with us. I don't call it the negative ego. I just say there's neutral ego, which is I am positive ego, which is I am. And thank you, existence. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great. And negative ego is I am. But that's a problem because these things exist. And because these things exist, I can't exist the way that I'm supposed to exist because they don't deserve to exist. So I don't deserve to exist as long as they exist. And that narrative continues to spiral. Right. Um, that's the conversation uh, between self and self, whereas cups is the relationship between us and other people, individuals, us in archetypal relationships, parent, child, sibling, sibling, coworker, coworker, lover, lover, friend, friend, whatever. Uh, wands is us versus, in quotations, how the world receives us is the way that we feel that we are, the way that we're received in the world. Because if so, that means that we're equally yoked. 
if I receive myself in a certain way and the world receives me in that way, it would mean that I know who I am, you know, assuming that you're in a world that gives you an expansive definition of amnes, right? Because you can also feel like you're a piece of shit and be treated like a piece of shit. And that does not necessarily speak to existence's position on your worth. And then pentacles we get into ourselves in the physical environment, the world that we actually exist in. So why I wanted to say this is because I, what I advise clients and what I've been saying recently is like, obviously, right, a triadic universe, intellect, body, emotions. I totally agree with you. I think that emotional intelligence is actually uh, the human superpower, which is why we are so oppressed because we are so unexpressed in our emotional intelligence. But what I, the way I like to describe this is like, you know, when you're a child, especially depending on the period of time you were born in and you see a fire, you know, your body consciousness says, yes, let's get close to that, but not too close. Your intellectual consciousness, it wants to investigate it to the end of the line, which means I would like to stick my hand in there. Your body intelligence might be like, no, I, that's a bad idea. And you might get a gut feeling. And then you stick your hand in the fire, we learn through osmosis, and it's your emotional intelligence that then regulates for you how you actually prefer to exist. Because for some people, they can tolerate that. And they're like, oh, that's exciting. I'm going to work with fire. I'm going to be a poi dancer, whatever. Some people put that in there like, I never want to feel that again. So it's your emotional intelligence that regulates the intellect and the body and ensures that you are in a state of being that you prefer to be in as often as you can determine the circumstances. Cause there are obviously times when we're just uncomfortable and obviously we incarnated into an uncomfortable time, but emotional intelligence is at the very least I tell clients a four-step process. Pro step one is you feel away. Step two is you recognize that you're feeling away. Step three is that you recognize that you're feeling away. You look back on your personal history at other times you might've felt that way around other people that you might've felt that way. And you start to connect the dots about how you arrive at that feeling. Step four is based on the first three steps, you then decide how you are going to act. But in a white cis heteropatriarchal world and in, in any supremacy ideationist world in any singular narrative hierarchy, the emotional intelligence is undervalued. So what you do is you only emphasize steps one and four. I feel I react. I feel I react. I feel I react. And it's very apropos that that is the rage symbol in the hand because, and even, you know, in sign language, the bull, the bullshit uh, sign, uh, fingers, because this is where all the control actually is. Steps two and three, I recognize I'm feeling away. Step three, recognizing that I feel a way, do I prefer to feel this way? And if I don't prefer to feel this way, why do I put myself in these circumstances? Or why do I expect to be treated this way? Or do I state that out loud and then I walk away? But if you don't actually take the time to consider your position of power through your preference, which comes through your emotional intelligence, then you're always gonna be in a state of, you made me do it, it made me do it, that happened to me, that didn't, like as if you're not the person co-signing the feeling, co-signing the experience. That doesn't mean we have control of everything that happens to us. But from the moment after that thing has happened and we have survived that thing, our emotional intelligence can come in and be like, now that was horrifying. Do we prefer that? And if we don't prefer that, how would we like to go forward with that? But people don't want to look at that stuff. 
So instead they decide it was the bad thing and they stuff it down thinking that it's not informative. And that's what I was going to say in between one and four. I feel like we've been in this loop of repression because we're told to not feel our emotions and that's weakness, right? Because the divine feminine is weakness. And so then it's in the repression that what what was, tell me what four was again. You decide how you're going to act based on the first three steps. Right. So then you act with a repressed emotion and then that becomes trauma in the body. And now we're like, let's bring trauma online. And that's yeah. it's a beautiful conversation that's happening. What's coming up in conversations right now can be very uncomfortable because we've been living, you know, in that blinded narrative for lack of a better word for so long that we're like whoa we're feeling so much all the time what's happening like this is coming up and it's our external is chaos our internal might be chaos and it's like we're trying to work through it but that's i see just this gorgeous rising up of the leader within all of us because we're all teachers for each other we're all reflections for each other And so now that we see that in that reflection with everyone, I think that we're giving ourselves this access to trauma that we've never had before so that we can bring in steps two and three with it. Yes. Well, I mean, that ties back to what I was first saying, which is in the hero font, the knowledge is that knowledge isn't linear and wisdom isn't linear. And you can't just you don't just learn from things that are behind you or in front of you or even where you're at. And to that end, you know, even though our language is super ableist, it has nothing to do with seeing or hearing or or even age, right? And I think what's important about that, of course, we can talk about like age of Aquarius and we can talk about that volatile energy and that readiness I was channeling about earlier, which is, you know, it's not about patience and it's not about planning. It's about recognizing that ultimately there's nothing to fear. Whatever takes place through existence was intended for you. I always tell my clients, you know, existence is infinite. It's eternal. It put you in it. It doesn't have your wrong address. Like your experiences are for you. It didn't forget you exist. It knows exactly where you are. Um, And everything that's happening to you is in fact your life and your road and your path. And you have to treat your own existence like like a math problem, but because we're linear, right? We even nail numbers down. Imagine that infinity means literally in every direction and every construct and every aspect of our reality, there is infinite, infinite potential. Mm. So when I say this to people, I'm like, you know, there's no getting to the solution in a math problem without the problem. You solve for the solution in the problem. You don't get to the right side of the equal sign without the problem. So when people are looking for the life that they prefer, which is on the right side of the equal sign, the solution, right? The life that I would be living if X, Y, Z wasn't happening, if all these things weren't working against me, which sometimes are legitimate, but even when they are, it doesn't matter. Meaning existence also co-signed you. So whatever you think is most relevant matters as much to existence as what people might be imposing upon you, regardless of what the optics might look like. So just like in the math problem, you know, you have to look at the circumstances of your life. Where are your problems? And there is a solution in there. Maybe you're multiplying when you should be dividing. Maybe you're looking at fractions when you should be, you know, putting down parentheses or whatever. But like, just like in math, the life that you prefer on the other side of the equal sign is actually within the life that you're existing in. And the more that you pay attention or the more that you be present essentially, 
And the more that you allow yourself to be all that you are, including the Pandora's box of elements of yourself that you don't want to see, then the more likely you're going to come into that solution. Because all those nuanced details are the part that is the math mathing, right? Like you actually have to understand the equation. So you're like, you could be looking at your life thinking it needed to be divided for years. And you're like, oh, I need more. I should have been multiplying this whole time. I would have had a solution, you know? Um, so I like to give people that sense that numbers are like, and I tell people like <laughs> music is math, but like with emotion and fun. <laughs> so you really have to think about how inside of our ideas that we actually are, right? How inside mm -hmm. of our words that we actually are. And one of my mentors says, you know, the, the spirit isn't in the body, the body is in the spirit. So that also the world that you, as you perceive it is you from a spiritual level, because I'm the only one in here, right? I can't perceive the world like Lori perceives it. Lori can't perceive the world like I perceive it because even if I, we were conjoined twins, we would be having different perspectives, mm -hmm. different thoughts, mm -hmm. different preferences. And that's informative. It, that's not a lack of information. That's where the information is, the unknowableness. So I really like to encourage people to use everything and not to other things, ultimately, to know that knowledge can come from anywhere is to say that too can, is a reflection of me because I can learn from it. And once we do that, we will have the emotional intelligence because um, like emotional intelligence is about being willing to recognize your part of what's there and how you actually feel, not being in denial. That is like a, a huge part of emotional intelligence, obviously, which the funny thing is, you know, patriarchy will say we're not emotional because that's like sissy or too girly or whatever, but pride is an emotion and anger is an emotion and jealousy is an emotion and rage is an emotion and indifference is also an emotion. <laughs> so we're never not feeling. And as long as we're incarnate, we're never not physically feeling as well. But our emotional intelligence, just like our thoughts are ever present. It's just that the example I like to use best is when we intellectualize our emotions, we might be like, oh my God, like, I hate this job. Every time I come to this job, I, I don't want to exist. And the intellect being like, Ugh, get over yourself. You need to put bread on the table. And like, I don't have any time for that. So get up and work. And your emotions are like, whoa, rude. We were just <laughs> expressing how we feel, but I guess we'll just get up and go. And they, they're always there. It's just that the intellect and the body is always like, shut up emotions, shut up emotions. And the emotions are just like, wow, everyone's so rude. And then they're all crowded in and then none of them get to express themselves until they just like yell. So we're the ones dictating whether we allow our emotions to inform us by allowing our intellect to not over-intellectualize our emotions. Your emotions don't go away because you ignore them. They just become less apparent to you. Right. Well, and it can become an internal conflict, which can create dis-ease. I think when we really can inhabit, like truly inhabit the concept that life is happening for us, not to us, that creates a whole new opening into our emotional intelligence. 
when we can take our experiences and truly be curious about them instead of resist them, it's a whole new way of being. Absolutely. Well, it's assuming that existence will support you in your positive beliefs and in your neutral beliefs as much as it has already supported you in your negative beliefs. You haven't been struck by lightning by having all kinds of beliefs, but and yet you're choosing the ones that you think are the most apparent, relevant, necessary, the way things have to be. Well, and we just got so comfortable. That sedentary, patriarchal, one-dimensional fallacy. You know, I think it's a wild combination of what's happening right now, right? With even for us in this country, in the USA, with our Pluto return coming, I've been doing a lot of research on that. We're in kind of the orb of it right now. Also the age of Aquarius that's now really starting to be activated. You know, we're very much in the beginning throes of it. And even our mortality, like putting all of these things together, because death is something that we have learned to fear greatly as we moved away from goddess cultures and like reverence for birth and death and the cycle of it. And, you know, even reverence for our continued journey in those parallel lives incarnated in all of those lives, even if this is this body right now, you know, in those concepts, it's just the emotion that gets provoked when you feel that way of being is so different than what We've been sold through the programming, through the media, through even pop culture, the ageist culture, that what we're putting all of our money into competition with sports. It's wild how much that can grab hold of a life. And I'm just sitting here going, what? This is your human body right now. Even though you are a spirit, you're infinite light, you're, you're moving through, you have karma, you have wisdom, you know, open your cells and it's incredible what comes out. But why are we putting all of our emotional intelligence into this kind of like limited system? Well, I mean, I think that the simplest answer is fear, right? Um, The most all-encompassing answer is fear without courage, fear without faith, fear without trust. Because, I mean, I think there's always an element of tension in the unknown, which can then translate as fear because we're like I don't know what that is and because I don't know what that is and because I when I don't know things they go badly and this thing is going to go badly for me um and so fear is the simple answer about that but the other answer is that there's the conditioning of the collective which is made out of the agreements of the individuals so it's the same thing I tell couples who I give readings to it's like your relationship is only going to be as good I shouldn't even say just couples because I don't just talk to couples but like people, partners who are in relationship, your relationship is only going to be as good as the individuals who make it up. Like you can't expect to have a great relationship if you're not on good terms with yourself. I can't expect to give a good tarot reading if I'm all going through my life lying to myself and denying what I really, what's really my work. How am I going to be a clear channel and conduit for you if I can't do that in my own life? I am my work. In a relationship, the relationship is the work, which means the individuals in the relationship are the work. There's no ignoring yourself to get to the result that you prefer. How would you be there? (laughs) If you're going to ignore yourself, you don't get to go. And even if you were there, (laughs) you wouldn't notice because you're busy ignoring yourself. And that's what happens to a lot of people, right? I wanted all these trappings. I wanted all these uh, symbols of... of, uh, key key moments of life 
And when I arrived there, it felt like nothing, right? I had the success, I got the award, I made the money, I had the fame, and I became a, an addict of something. And I became addicted to something, I should say. And then my life went off the rails because you weren't present. You weren't where you were at. You didn't want to be there. And so none of the fruits of where you're at can be really felt or eaten or enjoyed if the, you don't have the presence of your attention, which I think is why the emotional consciousness and the body consciousness is actually such a wild experience for people right now, because for so many kinds of people for so long, and it's obviously still the case, but less and less every day, these kinds of intelligences were systemically ignored oppressed and denied mm -hmm. right like yeah. no you can't go to work no you can't walk on the street freely no you can't drink from this water fountain no you can't own things no you can't exist and so now that you realize that regardless of when even people were saying that now that we know that like epigenetics is a thing and you're still feeling the whole time and that you're just going to pass that down in yourself. And now that existence is so multidimensional and we're getting to that volatility of the age of Aquarius, where there is really no time lapse in between action and consequence or action and reaction. Now people are like, Oh, I don't get to just die angry. Like my great grandparent, because I will go, clinically insane mm -hmm. before I get to that old age, because there's so little acceptance of that way of life now with everybody sort of going off on their own to their own version of earth in themselves, as if they get to be, you know, an individual who isn't connected to the collective. Now that that's happening on such a rapid scale, all the interactions between all the different choices that are being made out of free will are creating these extreme blowbacks. So it's like, you don't have the the rolling history of the Dust Bowl. You don't get to make it to 80 with no teeth and just all your secrets held. Like it's too messy of a time. There's too much interaction and too much reaction, too much steps one and four of emotional intelligence for you to not feel completely affected by this lack, the lack of your ability to know that you're feeling something and how you arrived at that feeling. And that's causing this sort of... Uh, crazedness where everyone is so rabid to get to the experience that they think they're missing out on that they're just sort of bulldozing over everybody else's experiences <laughs> and then wondering why we can't all just be left to our own devices it's like you're not even paying attention to what your devices are let alone what somebody else's are so how do you know <laughs> what's what in this atmosphere yeah i'm uh there were a couple thoughts that I, that I was having there. And for some reason, my mind just went right to the age of Aquarius um, <laughs> because it really is about our own sovereignty and our spirituality and our connection to essence. And it's interesting because I don't, I, I'm not going to cite a study, you know, this isn't, I'm not giving medical advice here. <laughs> I'm going to say that right now, <laughs> but um, it was thought that a lot of depression symptoms were coming up because we were so disconnected from our true essence, from our spirit, from like what's coming online now, because in the age of Pisces, we had been giving away our power to institutions, right? Like the religious institution, the medical institution, the educational institution. It was like, they know what's best for us. They're going to do it for us. Right. And so we just kind of live our lives. And then what they tell us we do. 
and then we're going to be great. We're going to like go to heaven or we know whatever it is. And now it's like, wait a second. No, no, no. Your source energy has always been within. And that's really coming online with the age of Aquarius. But then it's also taking that. And how does that affect the, the collective? Because everything we do emanates out into the collective. Every energy we produce emanates out into the collective. So when we have this chaos and this great divide and this anger, that's emanating out into the collective. And so, you know, when we do actually start to move into more of a balance of our energies, the sacred masculine, the divine feminine, the androgynous energies, and bringing those together, we actually can come from a deep place of, of reverence and unconditional love even if someone doesn't agree with us, right? It's like, it's, it, it, we're getting to this, this beautiful human evolution that, I, that has never been available to us before. And that brings me back to the beginning where I'm like, I feel like it's there. Like, it's kind of like, here I am. Do you want to do the work to feel this? Because it feels really good to be able to be in that space. But we, we're still resisting. A lot of us are still resisting. Um, not me, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah. resisting because it's like, no, I want, I want the life that I had. I want, that's not, it's not even possible anymore. Like people are yeah, like, no, we just got to go back to normal, go back to normal. It's not possible. So how about we like, let that go. And how do we move forward? How do we create a space where we're coming in the collective from that deep place of love for beings, for life? earth is telling us this is critical. We are at this time. It's not just for humans. It's for your planet. It's for earth. I find it to be a really exciting time to be alive. I think it's exciting that we chose to be here for this because it was going to come. We were living unsustainably. Absolutely. I feel confident because I know I incarnated intentionally. I understand that a lot of people don't have that confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if they want that confidence, they actually struggle with the mechanism of trusting existence. Mm -hmm. Um, I always like to remind people that the etymology of faith, like the base meaning of faith is to trust, to confide, or to persuade, because what you're confident about, you don't doubt what you're persuaded by. There's nothing to ask and what you trust, you trust. So, you know, faith is a matter of just knowing what you need to know is for your benefit and even if it's something you don't prefer, knowing that there's something that you can get out of it that will be your preference and that everybody else is also going through the same exact thing. <laughs> you know, So that's the part that I think is really interesting. I, I like to speculate that like utopia isn't a place where there's no emotional dynamics uh, utopia is a place where you don't like someone and they don't like you and you both bump into each other and they're like, I hate you. And you're like, I hate you too. And there's a moment of recognition. And then you both just go around each other and say, bye, bitch, and have a good day. <laughs> like no one has to die. No one has to be legislated against. Nobody has to be in each other's face. You can just like not like people and, and accept that that you're not for each other and go to where you are for each other. And in this world, there's also more child autonomy and there's also more things like this and obviously less like rigid systems all around relational systems, societal systems, but it's a place where the way that it actually already is working is accepted and integrated into the way that we work, right? Like people are like, these people can't exist. They already do. What the fuck are you talking about? 
like they're here already. It's the same as don't ask, don't tell. Queer people can't be in the military. They're already there. <laughs> you just are in denial that mm-hmm. they exist and you want them to deny their own existence, but they're very aware of their existence and they're already in the military. So when people are, are in these binary polarity like divisions, I'm flabbergasted because I'm like, we're all here. Like existence already co-signed all of us. So right. to eradicate what exists, like existence made Hitler and, and Jewish people. <laughs> I mean, it made Trump's and Obama's. So it's already here for everything. It doesn't have to choose because it's existence. So it is everything. It's experiencing everything as it is to itself. It doesn't have to make a selection. It is everything. So it's us choosing. And on that level, that's how you have to get down to what you actually prefer about your own existence. Be willing to show up authentically in your life. And trust that existence will support you in that, even if the people that you thought would be along with you along the road, including entire societies and cultures and places and businesses and, you know, whatever may not be, but that that is their free will to choose. You know, people are, we have been choosing negation and oppression and nihilism and Machiavellianism for centuries, if not tens of thousands of years. And it's an exciting time where you really get to like break coding Yes. Break genetic coding and reform, you know, reform DNA. It's exciting. Yes. That is why I work with birth. I mean, you know, with epigenetics, when we come in, we're already having trust learned out of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now with our excitement and curiosity to actually bring up trauma from the body, to look at it, to examine it, to work with it, to release it. Those are the intergenerational wounds and traumas that we are bringing down from generations of our mothers and grandmothers and cells that are coming through in the fear and the in the trauma and the distrust that we can actually start to bring to the surface and work with and then shift that GNA and, and change that coding to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what we are here doing, you know, or we are not. And we are <laughs> prolonging that sort of epigenetics. And that's existence will get the value out of that, too. There's mm-hmm. no experience. There's no dimension of Earth that existence is not incorporating into itself in a purposeful way Mm. so being a reflection of that would mean using your own life in the same way which is like okay well what kind of perfect what do I actually prefer what is my emotional intelligence telling me I like to think and like to feel and when I don't experience that, what are my emotional and physical intelligence allowing my emotions to understand about the value of that lack of preference, as opposed to saying, I don't like that, so it shouldn't exist. Well, it already does. So it's right. going to be a really long road if you want to eradicate that. Yes. It's infinite, just like everything else. So it's stopping resisting the flow of infinity and knowing that it can go in any direction. And I I love what you're throwing down right now, just like that it's all existing. So us resisting it is only prolonging it. I love that. Yes, that's such a good place to kind of wrap up here. (laughs) But I do wanna, what I wanna say for people, because if if you're feeling these things like body consciousness um, or emotional intelligence, you're feeling uncomfortable with it. I feel like there was a... I don't know if I want to call it spiritual bypassing or, or what I want to say it is, but for so long in the spiritual community, I feel like it felt really inaccessible for people. It's like, 
I don't know how to feel that kind of spirituality. Like, I don't know how to get there. Like, how do you, how are you claircognizant? How are you clairvoyant? How do you hear messages? I, and then we like shut down because we are frustrated that we don't know how to do it. So I just want to say, it's like what Sanyu is saying, it's existence. It is. So it's literally just feeling. And I'm going to give this example because it was so powerful the other day I was driving and I needed to do laundry. Right. And I thought I was going to go into a town to do it. It would have taken me off of my path a little bit. Right. And I had a ways to go and I got to the intersection and I thought about turning and my body tensed up, my body constricted. And I was like, and my mind was like, go that way. That's where the laundromat is. That's what you need to do. And my body's just, it was just telling me like, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Don't do it. You might not find a laundromat on the other route, but I listened to my body instead of my mind and went the other way, found the most bomb laundromat (laughs) with a natural health food store in the same parking lot. My body consciousness was intuitively telling me there was something else my mind was trying to resist it. So this is, I'm giving this example so that you can start to feel this in your own life because it's, there's not some key, there's not some like knowledge that's not being released about this, right? So I just love, Sanyu, how you're saying existence is. Everything that is around us is existing already and that exists within us. And it's really just allowing, instead of trying to take our minds to figure out how to make it happen. Yes. And knowing that the mind is useful, but that it will become totalitarian or dictatorial if overtax itself, like don't give the mind more work to do. Your body already informed you. Mm -hmm. So allowing your mind to take the wheel would have been unnecessary because you already had the information and you trusted that information. Yes. Um, And it benefited you. And the point that you said that is so essential is that maybe I won't find Mm -hmm. a laundromat. I don't have to have what my mind thinks I have to have when my mind thinks I have to have it. I need to be in a state of being that makes me happier present or willing to be where I'm at, which is the only place that I can act from anyway. And that's really actually appropriate place to end because that's the fool's journey. Mm. The fool is the first card down to being the zero card in the tarot and the fool gives everything it has to the moment it doesn't worry the fool doesn't worry about the future because they know every moment i have i give everything to and the fool doesn't worry about the past because they know every moment i had i gave everything to so the fool is very much inside of like say a tesseract where the fool is aware that all that it needs to know can be extracted from the moment at hand Mm. and that allows it to be a multidimensional entity that can you know pop up and be saved in situations that seem incredibly terrible for other people and that's also really wisdom of the hero font as well and it just it feels good like that feels good to have trust in all of the wisdom of the moment yes and trusting trust instead of trusting distrust Right. Because you're always trusting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sanyu, thank you so much. What a deep convo we just got into. Yes, good (laughs) stuff. Oh, okay. And to answer your last question. Thank you. Yes, the last question. Who would be your dream guest and why? 
I think I would either choose, and I have an either because allegedly and believably, Lao Tzu is not one person, but was many individuals over the period of writing the Tao Te Ching and several other uh, Taoist texts. And so I don't know that I could speak to Lao Tzu in that it seems to be a foil for many people over many generations or just like the master in the way that like the Dalai Lama is a, a title. Um, but I would be very interested to talk to Lao Tzu because their perspective is so gracious. It's so broad and it's so allowing, which is why I practice Taoism and why I practice Ifa because they're not practices that require the negation of any other practice. They simply require the refinement of your character and the acting in the way that is important regardless of how other people act. Um, and so to write that text, like what, like three, 4,000 years ago is just incredible because the scale of humanity at that time, especially in Eurasia was so violent that for anyone to have arrived at that gives me so much hope for these times where it seems mm -hmm. like an apocalyptic moment, mm -hmm. but humanity not knowing about globalization, not knowing that the world was round, not knowing that there are so many other cultures around the world has gone through so many apocalypses. Of course, we'll, we can survive it. The point is like, why and how? There's no point in like prolonging your existence just to be miserable we have to refine this experience. Mm. So I would want to talk to a master like that because it would allow me to put more of what's happening now into perspective. In fact, I, I know this because it's so interesting. In my history of the tarot search, what I discovered is, and shout out to uh, Jamel Hooper because a homie of mine said this maybe last year sometime, but he was like, we're on the brink of a renaissance. And of course it doesn't feel that way, but looking at the history of tarot, which actually comes up for the first time ever, right before the Renaissance, in a time where the Catholic church was hemorrhaging faith. They had to ban tarot cards and all these things because people were so dis disillusioned by the church that they were trying any faith from anywhere and everyone, government and all these singular hierarchical narratives were struggling to maintain the attention of the collective. And from all this disparateness, boom, 200 years of a renaissance. Mm. So we're really in that period before where people are trying every wild thing, having every wild belief, going on all these little Pisces, Aquarius sort of like uh, messiah moments where it's back and forth between I know everything and this person knows everything and I know everything and this person knows everything. And from all that energy, we came into, in the most violent area of the world at that time, coming into some of the most refined behaviors that Europe has ever seen to this day that Europe continues to refer to. It was 200 years of thousands of years of history mm. and it continues to define the culture of this place. So it's like, we're on our precipice of that. We're yeah. about to have our Renaissance, but it's going to get messy uh. <laughs> before it gets great. <laughs> yes. You said you hadn't either. Was there another one? Oh, there is. The other <laughs> That's one, why I was waiting. <laughs> appropriate. Yes. No, the other one is um, Hapshetsut. 
because I've been thinking about, obviously within patriarchy, we emphasize male masters. The assumption is Lao Tzu's a male, but there were many persons. So who knows how many were in that mix. Um, and, you know, only in the most ridiculously extreme situations are women considered, you know, masters. Mother Virgin, Mother, Mother Virgin Mary, uh, Joan of Arc, um, these sort of virginal characters, um, or even like more androgynous masters or non-binary masters, of which I'm sure there are plenty. But Hepshetsut was not supposed to rule for as long as she did. She was supposed to be the wife consort until her child came of age. And her child just was not ready. And by the time that they were old enough, she had done so many amazing things for the culture. They were kind of like, we're good on you, bro. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll stay with the it. Um, she lived for a fairly long time at that time um, and did die of um, some ailments, but she got so much done in such a contentious area like the Mediterranean at that time was just so like the, the, the wild in history and, and in war. And she went to war and things like that, but she preserved her culture in a way and advanced her culture in a way that I think is so, uh, that had such broad strokes to even mm. be able to know about her now through all the thousands of years of patriarchy since then when they could have easily erased her memory the memory of her so i've been studying sort of like feminine and female masters and hepshetsa is definitely one i would want to sit down with just what her if she even got close to her vision right because we sometimes look at masters and we're like wow they did so much and they're like this is a quarter of what i came here to do bitch i didn't even get <laughs> oh that's wonderful thank you i loved that entire journey you just took us on. I think there's going to be a lot of people looking into all of them that you yes. just talked about for sure. Yeah, we didn't even get into the Tao. That was part of what I wanted all to right. chat about because you go through the lens of Taoism. Let everybody know where they can find you. You have lots of podcasts out there so people can take <laughs> people can take a deep dive. I certainly did. It's wonderful. So give us your deets. Yes. Uh, you guys can find me, guys, gals, ghouls. You guys can find me <laughs> on uh, at www.sanyuestelle.com. That's spelled S-A-N as a Nancy, Y-U-E-S-T-E-L-L-E. That's also my at on Instagram. Uh, I'm not really on that many social media platforms. So really, I'm on Instagram. I do have a presence on Facebook, although I'm never on there. And I have a newsletter that you can access through my uh, website. And as well, uh, you can find any of my podcasts on SoundCloud or on Spotify. Um, and I have some that I host myself. I have some that I co-host. I have a bunch of features. And if you go to my website, there's a features tab that will show you everything that I've been in thus far that you're more than welcome to peruse through. <laughs> and where can people get your album? Oh, yes. Oh, my yes. Gosh. Yes, of course. You, <laughs> you already find... graced us with yes. your beautiful voice. I forgot I was singing earlier today. Yes, <laughs> you can find any of my music on any streaming platform, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, whatever. Um, that's also under my name, Sanya Estelle. And the album is called Good Grief. And I would love for you to give it a stream, please. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing that with us. I totally came out of nowhere with that for you. And so yes. 
just the fact that yeah that you jumped in is so beautiful and we really appreciate it and of course i'm going to have all of her links below in the show notes to make it easy so you can click through take the deep dive it's amazing and you just need to see this gorgeous light she's absolutely beautiful inside and out Thank you again for spending your time with us and all of your beautiful insights. It's been a pleasure. Yes, a pleasure, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. All right, y'all. Until next time. Cheers. Bye. And with that, let's normalize the struggles, celebrate the quirks, and lean into the light. From myself and Beezus the Brave... Happy Wild Heart Revolution, friends. I'm just, my feeling is you look absolutely adorable. So I need to tell you, I love it.